evening, y'all. This is Laurel Hightower, and I am joined tonight by my co-hosts, uh, Rich Duncan and Shane Douglas Keene. You are listening to Ink Heist, and tonight we are joined by Jonathan Jans. Um, we're very excited to have you on board. Jonathan, how are you doing? I am amazing. Even more amazing now that I'm here with you three. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We're super excited to have you on, um, and I know... Uh, a, for most of our listeners, I would imagine you don't need much of an introduction, but if you want to kind of give us a little bit of um, new kid at school and and let us know what you got going on. <laughs> sure. All right. Well, um, yeah, so you've already given my name, Jonathan Jans, and that's actually my pen name. But I, um, yeah, I'm a, a father, husband, teacher, and writer. And those four things pretty much take up all my time. And, and I'm cool with that. I'm good with that. And I've got a new novel coming out here soon, this week actually, called The Raven. Um, but that's that's probably enough for now. That's enough to go on. <laughs> um, the Raven, by the way, by the time this podcast goes live, The Raven will have been available since midnight. The oh, night really? Yeah, so get it. It'll be the release day. Dude, that is so cool. All right, I like that. That's awesome. So, anyway, that was just a... Just an interjection for our listeners. Um, <laughs> we have we have thirteen listeners now, so we're really <laughs> Dude, that is like that's amazing. That's like triple, I think, than what most podcasts have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> of course, one of them's my dog, but you don't. <laughs> you should count twice, man. <laughs> I guess that's only North Carolina voters that, call, that count twice, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. Perfectly legal. Oh, I keep, man. I keep thinking today about the stupid fucking boat accident. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In Austin. It's like, come for the boat parade, stay for the submarines. Oh, my God. <laughs> with with multiple conspiracy theories already already sprouting up. I know. It's, it, it's domestic terrorism. No, it's a bunch of idiots crashed into each other and sank. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Politics aside. I was gonna say that sounds like a Labor Day on the lake near me anyways. So. <laughs> no, seriously. That is like quintessential Labor Day right there. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. <laughs> well, we are really excited to talk about the Raven among like fifty other things you have coming out in the near future. Um, that's, I mean, I saw your, it was like a post like fairly recently where you just kind of listed everything that was coming. I was like, oh my God, like this is, you know, so have you just had like a super productive quarantine or is this all stuff that's just kind of been in the pipeline and is, is rolling through now? Yeah, it's both. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the quarantine was, it's either, I was either with my family or, I mean, I was teaching for part of it, right. Because we're doing that remote learning or that online learning. But then when I wasn't doing that and wasn't hanging with my family, yeah, I was writing more than I normally would. Like like April and May are usually just completely dead times with regard to writing because I'm teaching. Um, obviously, I was still teaching, but I had a little more time than normal. So I wrote a novel during that time called Halloween Gods, and I finished uh, editing Marla, this other novel. So yeah, a little added time and a little added productivity, but I've really just been pretty steady for the last like six or seven years, and it's it's you said it you said it yourself. It's kind of like the culmination of of just a lot of a lot of work over a lot of time. Everybody's jaw is gonna drop awesome. when they hear that hear you say that you wrote a book called Halloween. God. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know mine did. 
<laughs> Same here. Well, thank yes. you. Yeah, yeah. And um, another thing, it's kind of off topic, but it kind of ties into the quarantine thing and your new book, The Raven, your reading that I think you did for CoronaCon. That was like one of the best readings that I've seen. And like, was that the first time you had tried something like that? Like, do you have an acting background we don't know about? <laughs> well, thank you for saying that. I'm actually a really bad actor. I really believe I am. I, I met my wife on on the stage, actually. Um, I met her 20 years ago. She was she was Cinderella and I was Prince Charming. And that's how we met each other. Um, but she was awesome. And I wasn't. What's that? That, that figures. <laughs> <laughs> she was really good. She was legit good, and I was not. Um, but she, like, you know, kind of propped me up. And we, we reprised our stage life. Two years later, we were Sound of Music. I was uh, Von Trapp. I was the one who corrupted her. She was Maria, the, the, the um, nun or whatever. And so that was fun to try to take away any goodness in her. But um, <laughs> not, I, having said that, that's, that's my cumulative stage experience. I'm not an actor at all. Um, and like I read to my students, like we read, like I'll pick a kid and we'll read back and forth every other paragraph. And there are a couple stories I read all the way through Telltale Heart and then, um, Mask of the Red Death. Those are the two stories I do solo. So I've got a little like tiny reading background, but nothing like serious acting rich, like, like, like an audiobook narrator, nothing like that. Um, that particular chapter I had done once before, and that was at Scares the Care a couple years ago. That was the reading that I did because that's what I was working on at the time. So that was slightly more rehearsed than my other readings, but not like to an incredible degree. That was a long answer for a relatively simple question. <laughs> no, we like we like yeah. long answers. Plus, that, that is the best meet cute I think I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you you met on stage as Cinderella and Prince Charming. I can't right? even. That's. <laughs> Glad you liked it because I think we just went from 13 to 10 listeners because <laughs> people are running for the trash can like, oh, are you serious? That's so bad. <laughs> I heard retching. Whatever. If there's a, I, I am a big fan of the romance element, especially oh, good. There, you know. Good, 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 good. That's good to hear. Well, that is, I'm, I'm kind of curious. Does she still act? No, uh, she doesn't. She is a voice and piano teacher. Uh, yeah, so she teaches uh, voice lessons and piano lessons. And she had a recital last night, actually, and rocked it like she always does. Helped her kids, and they all did really well. Um, but she, I think the last time she acted was that, that Sound of Music uh, musical that we did together. She learned the guitar. She was playing the guitar. I tried to learn the guitar, guys, really fast here. This is because it shows what an idiot I am. I tried to learn the guitar, and I couldn't, like, pick any notes. So they just tr tried to teach me, like, to strum, like, you know, and then key change and strum in rhythm. And I, I didn't get it down very well, but I got it well enough to try to play because Edelweiss. Edelweiss is, like, the big solo. It's, like, the emotional core of the movie because, like, my homeland's being ripped away by Nazis. We have to leave. My family's surrounding me. It's this big emotional moment. And this kid, one of my students, had a great, had a really cool new guitar. And he's like, why don't you borrow my guitar? Because yours sucks. I'm like, okay. Yeah, you're <laughs> kind of like a third-hand thing that I got at Goodwill. So I'm like, okay, sure, I'll use it. I didn't know. Here's how little I know. I didn't know that they could be tuned to different, like, keys or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I didn't even play it. I picked it up before the play. And I started to play it in the play. And it was, like, in a different key. Oh, or no. <laughs> and I did two strums. And, like, I hear the audience gasp. And then I just kind of set it down on the floor beside me. 
Survived terrible guitar, terrible aim. <laughs> yep. Pandemic Long survived team. all of it. Yeah. I do the guitar thing all right. But. I've heard that about you. I've heard that you that you that you can do. That's pretty awesome. What what kind of stuff do you like to play? Mostly blues. I mostly right. I mostly tune in those alternative tunings that are so vexing to you, and um, <laughs> yeah, play slide guitar. <laughs> <laughs> We're still I trying to find the exact combination of whatever substances he needs to actually get him to sing and play on air, but we haven't reached that yet. We haven't found that yet. That's like, no. alchemy, right? We've got to find, yeah, we've got to keep trying. That's amazing. I would love to hear that, man. I'd love Dang. to hear that. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe someday. I have to get a lot older where I really, really don't fucking care what anybody thinks. <laughs> 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 so Laurel brought up romance and relationships. Um, so that's something that I want to talk about. I've talked about it before in my reviews of your stuff, and I've talked about it with you. But um, the core of every story you write has a human relationship going on, usually, uh, usually with a romantic connection, usually with children connected to it, and um thus is the raven as well um has that i've always wondered has that been an intentional thing for you because i know family is important to you you rage about your own family all the time and it's blatantly obvious <laughs> they are the number one thing in your world yeah you know, so absolutely yeah, no, I think I think that's I'm I'm delighted and really gratified that you that you noticed that and that I, I just think that that you really like I don't know I think the more your heart comes out on the page the better the work is the more authentic and true it is and you know I've got I've got enough faults to fill up you know a zip code at least maybe two or three zip codes but um, I do feel like. Uh, I am absolutely devoted to my wife. I'm absolutely devoted to my kids. And I, you know, it's it's hard not to think of that. I mean, I think, first of all, the, the, the best stories, the most enduring stories, at some point have an element of love in them. Um, and I think that, you know, you look at, I mean, they're all the, you just look at the famous series, right? I mean, you've, nobody would call uh, Harry Potter a love story, but, but you know, love is, is frequently an important theme in that. Um, and then really, I mean, I think it is the theme. If you get down to it, that's the theme of, of that whole series. If you look at the Dark Tower, 
you know, like even though it is action, sci-fi, fantasy, Western, whatever, you know, Roland and, and Susan Delgado, that's uh, uh, that's part of the emotional core. Roland's love for Jake, that's what torments him in the second book. Um, the love between Eddie and Susanna is is beautiful. And that's and I, so I, I really think that in, in, in best stories, I, I feel like love is I don't know that it's a prerequisite or a necessity, but boy, oh boy, I find it I find it arising again and again in, in my favorite stories. Um, so, so yeah, I think that, that when I write, you know, it's, it's a very personal thing and in, invariably the things I care about most are going to come up and, and I think that's why you see the love in there. And I think that's what, um, you know, it's funny, Brian Keene in an, in, a, in an interview a couple years, about a year ago, he said, you know, you mention you know, a lot, you talk a lot about abduction and a lot about like guilt over, you know, not being a good dad or whatever. And I, and I didn't even think about it until he said it. Um, but it's so true. It's, it's like I really feel like, like it's so important to me. And every day I feel like I fail. And so every day I try harder to be a good dad and a better dad and a more supportive and, and present dad. But it's so hard because you just you never feel like you're doing enough. You never feel like you're you're reaching the level of, of, of devotion and patience and, and attentiveness that you want to. So I think that those things get worked out on the page, obviously, as well as the love that I have for my kids. Right. right. And that that kind of um, I mean, it really comes through in your writing. I think that you, you come at it from that point of view where it's so extremely, extremely um, personal to you, you know, and I understand that, you know, you always worry you're going to fail the people that you most don't want to fail, you know, and it becomes a fear almost in a way as a parent, one of your worst. Absolutely. You know, so, but you really bring it, you really bring it to life, that emotion in your, in your stories. Well, thank you, brother. That means, means more than you know. That's, you know, and, and for better or worse, it definitely is, you know, it's authentic. It's from, from the deepest part of me. So whether, whether or not readers connect with it is, you know, it's up to every individual reader, but I'm glad that it rings true to you. I, I really, I like what you said there about that, because it's not something I would necessarily have picked up on exactly, you know, that that was something that you were kind of working out on the page. But when you were saying that, I was just like, you know, kind of nodding along, like in particular with this pandemic, like, um, you know, I don't mean to rag on that, but like, I've got a two-year-old at home and I just feel like, Every decision I make, you know, it's it's a cost benefit analysis of, of like, okay, he's missing out on seeing people, you know, so he's lonely and am I doing enough with this? And it's like, I think that the reason we strive so much and feel like we fail all the time is not, I think, necessarily that we're doing a bad job, but that we look at our kids and we think that they deserve everything, you yeah. know, that that they're completely perfect and they deserve everything. So if I'm not per completely perfect, then I'm not delivering what they deserve. So, so true. So well said. I, I couldn't agree with that more. I think that's absolutely true. Yeah, a big part of your own reaction to your kids is is uh, their perception of you. You know, I mean, uh, except for the part where I think if my kids thought I was a piece of shit, I'd still love them. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's unconditional on our end. I'm, I'm... Right. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, I think I think that is actually just one of the things I'm I'm ashamed that makes uh, your writing so compelling 
is because, you know, it's not like, I don't feel like romance is ever shoehorned in there. I feel like it's something that is such a, an integral part of being human. Um, you know, one of the things that I just feel I, I, I'm, I'm a total sucker for it. Like, I, you know, if it, if it doesn't fit, if it's, you know, if it's really just being shoved in and it doesn't belong, then okay. But otherwise I just feel like that's something that really can enhance a story. And, um, you know, and romance can take a whole lot of different uh, forms, obviously. Um, you know, but it's, it's just something that I think just, just helps make it compelling and, um, you know, does so the main character in, in the Raven, I, that's a lot of what drives him. Absolutely. It is. Yeah, no, I, I think it is. And I think that, you know, we talk about failing our kids. I think that we can worry about failing our significant others too. Um, and I think that you get a lot of that with Des. He, you know, he feels like he's failed, um, the woman he loves. He feels like, um, he hasn't been what he should be. And, you know, it, it haunts him and motivates him both at the same time. But I think that we feel that way sometimes about our spouses. You know, our kids, they're like obviously needy. You know, you're talking about your two-year-old. But your two-year-old is obviously going to need you at every turn, right? But um, I think that then we get so focused on that that we forget that our significant others need us too. And then we're like, oh my gosh, am I, am I doing what, what I criticize people for doing in movies? Am I, am I, am I not being attentive enough? Am I, am I not, you know, cherishing this other person enough and, and showing this other person because she does mean the world to me also. Um, but just because she's not overtly and obviously needy, you know, does, does that mean she doesn't deserve the same level of attention that I would like to give her? And so I see, I think you see some of that. So I do feel that sometimes toward my wife. She's awesome. Um, but sometimes I feel like I'm not the, the, the husband I should be. And I think that you see that uh, with, with Des and the Raven. Yeah. yeah. And, and oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no. I'm, I'm glad we got that over with early. Now we'll do it through the rest <laughs> of the episode. Oh, I'm sure we won't trip over <laughs> each other even one more time. No. <laughs> Well, I was thinking, too, just kind of in, in the post-apocalyptic scenario that, you know, that you've got here where so much of, of uh, survival, you know, physical. Um, and in thinking of that, like, it, it very much, yes, and I think especially, too, after you have kids, like, you know, the need to continue to revisit the uh, spouse relationship. Because, again, you know, like you said, you're focusing on the obvious needs of the kids so it's kind of takes, you know, and and a conscious effort to go back to that. But when you're looking at a situation that Des finds himself in, I think in particular, it would be hard to be uh, the the masculine in that because there is that constant. And, and we see it in Des a whole lot is that his he feels like from a physical standpoint, he should constantly be enough for whoever it is that he's protecting, regardless of the fact of whatever ridiculousness he's up against, you know, and I feel like that would be really hard in that setting. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You talk about magnifying every single, you know, insecurity, every single yearning and desire to be what you feel like you should be. That setting would absolutely amplify to the 20th degree all of those feelings that I think, you know, a lot of us feel here in, in, in the world that we know. Yeah, and um, one thing uh, that I kind of playing off of that, um, you know, like the stuff that Des kind of goes through that inner voice that he has where he feels like he's not good enough. Like, I feel like that can be relatable for a lot of readers. But um, 
one of the interesting things without kind of getting too deep into it for those who haven't read it was just kind of how you kind of weave that stuff into some of the mythology of, you know, even the other characters that you have, um, like Jim, for instance, like I really liked his character and kind of how you (laughs) kind of how you used like a traditional horror trope with Jim, but you kind of made it different in, you know, how that all plays out through the story. Yeah. Yeah. Jim is one of my favorite characters. And and, then there haven't been, you know, the book hadn't been released yet, obviously. So there there haven't been hundreds and hundreds of reviews. But I think Jim is a person that's already been been mentioned a lot. And that really is gratifying because he's a character that I don't know. I just I I, I kind of feel that character. Obviously, I'm never going to go through exactly what he goes through. (laughs) But but I think that, that there's so much humanity in him and i think that there you know you kind of have the ultimate like like he's almost like this um this the he's like des uh gone to the most extreme right des feeling like he's failed his loved one then you have jim and jim is like that multiplied almost you know in in perpetuity because jim is absolutely in anguish over what has happened, but at, at core, you can see that this guy is a good guy. This guy has a heart. He he wanted to do the right thing in the past. He still wants to fight to do the right thing, but but circumstances make him very make that very challenging to accomplish. I would yeah. say chal- challenging is a small word. In that case, but. <laughs> yeah, and it, you know it's kind of cool to hear you describe it that way because. You know, now that you had kind of said that, you know, that it's kind of like Des, you know, kind of amplified. Like, I I didn't, I kind of noticed that. Like, I noticed the connection that they kind of had similar traits. But I almost wonder if, you know, that's kind of how their relationship is what it is, you know, because, you know, Des, he's constantly on edge. But, you know, with Jim, he kind of formed some sort of relationship. And I wonder if that's because he kind of saw a little bit of himself in Jim. Yeah. You know, what's funny is and this sounds like it sounds like I'm repudiating what I just said. I'm not. Um, But the fact is, is that I didn't even realize it until I just said it. That doesn't mean it's BS. It's not. It's absolutely true. But I hadn't even thought about because here's the thing. It's like Des has just been through something terrible when he meets Jim. For those of you who haven't read the book, there are five parts of the book. He meets Jim in, I, I think, part two, like early on in part two. Yeah. And um, he's gone through something horrific, like just nightmarish. And once he meets Jim, I think the big question is, why would you trust this guy after what you've just been through? And I think it's twofold. I think that Des, like many of us, still yearns for some good in the world. He yearns to, to, to have validation that there that everybody isn't out for himself, that everybody isn't out to, to hurt other people. And then also, I think he senses in Jim, and I think we've, we've, I think we experienced this. I think that we can sense sometimes relatively early on a kindred spirit. Um, we can just like on some, you know, very primitive level, we can, we, we can sense that and we can sense some goodness or maybe even like-mindedness. And it causes us to, to maybe trust a little earlier than logic would dictate is prudent. But I think that's the case with Jim. I think that he senses something in him. Something in, in his in his eyes, something in his manner, maybe even what he says. You know, he, he says a couple kind of 
not rude things, but yeah, it's not exactly like like this incredible <laughs> bonding moment the first time they meet. But whatever it is about Jim, it, it, it compels Des. It draws him to him. It magnetizes him. And I, But I do think that that's something that happens in our lives. I think that's how we form some of our longest and most cherished bonds. Yeah, and in a way, my imagination kind of... Um, kind of... Um, God, I just totally lost my train of thought again. Um, it's okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> Somebody else. Um, <laughs> I'll think about it. <laughs> no. Um, now I forgot what I was gonna say too, I, I, Laurel. I, <laughs> God, Rich, you fucking face cadet. No, I I had one too. I had. I did that, in class. I did that in class twice last. Week. <laughs> lost my train of thought, and I had an audience full of teenagers. Right? We only have oh, ten in the dog, so don't worry. <laughs> oh, I know now. I'm sorry. Um, the thing with that particular scene you're talking about when he first encounters Daz there in that uh, grove um, is like I would immediately go no fuck you I don't want to go with you um, but then another part of me would go yeah but my grandmother would kick my ass for being so impolite as to turn down an invitation like that Right. So, I mean, it's like, you know, what does normalcy dictate that I do right here? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's also like, you know, it's so much like we have a need, a desire. That's why, you know, whether we're in person or online, we crave we crave like connections. And I think that that that's like you said, there is that element of 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 the breeding or the whatever you want to put it. What do they call that when you're conditioned? Right. Whatever a certain way. Uh, but you have that 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 nurture, old, yeah, yeah, that nurture, the, yeah, as opposed to the nature, you've got that nurture, the way that you've been treated or whatever, and the way that you've been taught. I think there's that, and then I think there's also that natural urge to to connect. Um, and I think it's I think it's both very much. I agree, and I was actually just thinking, like, I'm I'm afraid that I, for many reasons, wouldn't last long in an apocalypse, but. <laughs> I think that one of them would be that it's, you know, part of it's being Southern and part of it is, is like Shane said, it's just like, I wouldn't want to be impolite, even though I just had to deal with this horrific, you know, situation five minutes ago. Um, you know, this guy had nothing to do with that. And, and also I could easily be bought with food like so quickly. <laughs> well, that's a, yeah. That's what I thought. Laurel Me said too. she couldn't survive a, an apocalypse. And I thought, yeah, cause she, Oh, hi, would y'all like a shot of bourbon? And <laughs> <laughs> I've just always thought if someone pulled up in one of those creepy vans with the right advertisement, I would just get in and then just be like, but before you kill me, what did you promise me? I will yeah, drink you it got on the it way delivered. to wherever. Yes. <laughs> 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 awesome. Well, what, one other thing I would throw in there too is that the, the one movie I love, I, I, my kids won't let me watch Pixar because I cry all the time when I watch it. Um, but one movie I love is Wally, and there's this great line in Wally where the captain, I think he's a captain of the um, Axiom, maybe of whatever the big ship is called, and um, uh, the Otto, the autopilot villain, says to him. Um, you will survive, right? And the captain's answer is, I don't want to survive. I want to live. And there's a big difference. 
And I think that, that in this world, yes, obviously Des wants to survive, but there's a difference between simply subsisting and actually experiencing and living life. And I think after a couple of years of just scraping out an existence, you'd start to desire not just your next meal, you desire something more. And I think that you see that yearning in him in the story. I think that's true. Yeah, because it's not it's not just the popcorn, which is quite a draw. I think, but, 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 you know, it's the, it's the ability to connect with that person and, and just sort of like almost a, a unconscious thought of if we can't have these small things and these small connections, what the hell am I bothering to survive for anyway? Exactly. Right. Like it goes right back to that normalcy thing that, you know, popcorn is like the most normal thing in the world for somebody to offer you. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'd offer if I had it. Not me. I'd offer scotch, but. (laughs) (laughs) You want a a confession, Shane? I have never had scotch in my life. Oh, wow. That's that's a shame. If you do, try a single barrel first, because if you try a multi-blend, you'll you'll probably not like it originally. Well, well, why don't we do this? Why don't we make like make a date? You know, the near where where, maybe you don't want to say where you're from, but when we have a uh, convention, and there's a con when that those actually occur again. I think that maybe I should have my first uh, drink with of all time of scotch with you. Uh, I'd be more than game to do that with you. There we go. So I'll save it for that. I'll save it for that occasion whenever that occurs. Uh, we. I am in Portland. I was born and raised here. Okay. And so scarce that we, care has that. Uh, that I don't want to say West Coast. Where Where is that? Wisconsin. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 West so that's so there's <laughs> there was a W in there. We're moving there. It's closer than Williamsburg is, yeah, right? There. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's not far, Shane. Just get in your vehicle and get over there, man. <laughs> Sorry, Laurel. <laughs> I am geographically challenged. Again, reason number seven thirty-three. Long <laughs> in the apocalypse, like I'll I'll be one of the early ones. Uh, um, one I finally remembered what I was going to ask you. Um, you know, it's not really so much of a question, more like a like a statement. But um, like I think I was telling Shane earlier when I was reading this, like I I've, I've read a lot of your books now over the past couple of years and. I think it like the stuff we've been talking about, about how you, you know, weave in relationships and, you know, the strength of your characters, like every time I read one of your books, it's going to sound weird because some of these books, like they're, you know, there's a lot of horrible stuff in them. They can be pretty brutal, but they almost feel like comfortable in a way. It's kind of like almost the feeling that like a lot of people kind of ascribe to like king like the way he kind of is able to just capture characters and kind of you know almost make them real to you that make them like such comfortable reads like that's something that i noticed even with this which you know there's a lot of horrible brutal stuff in it (laughs) (laughs) that means so much you know that's uh, what i guess the best it's not a great analogy or metaphor or whatever but you know whenever you hear someone Uh, sing the national anthem i am so nervous most of the time because for that person because it's a hard song to sing 
And I know I would butcher it. I'd probably forget the words if I were like singing in front of people. And I just want them to do so well, so badly that, that I can't enjoy it unless it's that rare person that just puts me at ease. And I, I, I'm not saying I'm that person, but, but that's kind of like the level I would like. That's what I aspire to as a writer, because you mentioned King. It's like with King, there's, there's, I mean, I, I know not everybody loves King. I do. I love him. And, and I, he's my favorite writer of all time. I, I owe more to him than I can ever pay back. I love him. I absolutely love him. And um, when I read his books, I'm like you said, I just settle in, man. I just settle in. It's like being cozy with an old friend and there's no pretense. There's no pressure. There's no negativity of any kind. I'm just there in the story living that and I'm in good hands and I know it. And again, I'm not saying that I deserve that kind of whatever acclaim or praise, but the fact that you're comfortable in reading my work is is just about the highest compliment I could I could receive because I, I want you to just to just be in the story. I don't want you to to worry about is this guy gonna is this guy gonna screw it up with with you know with 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 tin eared word choice or with poor dialogue or with sloppy settings you know world building. Um, I want the reader to just be able to be there in the story and relax and, and to be, it's, yeah, comfortable. Uh, absolutely. So that's awesome to hear. And yet at times it's also uh, extremely uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. and I, I mean I mean that in the best of ways, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the monsters, man, some of those monsters are just awful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they really are, aren't they? And it's like you're a lot more subtle in a way than like uh, Hunter Shea about your embracing of monsters. But it's become obvious to me over the years that you love your monsters. <laughs> yeah, I think Hunter uh, Hunter's, you know, and I, I know you did, you love his writing and I love his writing. He's a great guy. And he's yeah, that's kind of like his persona, right? He's like the monster guy. Right. Um, and that's that's awesome, and he he owns it and, and just kills it with it. Um, but but yeah, I mean I, I do I do really I really in, enjoy different you know examining different because I think that they're all like if you hold up that mirror and there's a little refraction or whatever, it's you know it, you, we see ourselves or aspects of ourselves in those monsters, and that's just that's fascinating to me. Uh, I love that exploring that in different ways. Um, I think that. You know, in the Raven, you know, the different characters, there are different types of monsters in there. And right. and it's just, yeah, and I think that those monsters kind of, yeah, it, it took the four winds. It took this apocalyptic event to bring those out of these individuals or to transform them. But in a way, you kind of sense, at least I did writing them. It's like I knew what they were going to become. I knew what they were because because maybe that was in them. I mean, literally, it was in them all along in their DNA. But in, in their in their personalities, in their characters, they they, they tend a certain way. Um, and, and I feel like that's so I, feel, I felt like every person that became a monster, um, I felt like it was a natural regression for those individuals. Um, but, yeah, dude, I, lo I love them. I, lo I love the chill. The children from the Children of the Dark and, and Savage Species and stuff and Children of the Dark, too. Um, yeah. I love they're awful. They're disgusting. That's they're just they're vicious and amoral. But that's part of why I'm so fascinated by them, I guess. They get a little mention in that book, too. Yeah. Man. 
yeah, they do. And, and, and they might at some point, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a series. And uh, I think at some point they might appear. We'll, we'll have to see. That would rock. Yeah. Uh, we all we all had a feeling it might be a series. Yeah. And that's nothing but the best of news. Yeah. I'm glad I'm glad you brought it up too because I always I always feel bad because like almost all of our guests like depending on the type of story it is that's like always one of the first things I ask them is like oh do you have any plans for like a sequel and I always feel terrible especially with the ones who go oh fuck no man I'm never going back yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I think it just depends you know obviously it depends on the story certain books I've written like the Nightmare Girl. Uh, that's over okay and that that that's not going to continue that ended exactly as it should have so there will never be a sequel to the nightmare girl that i can imagine but 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 other books like the raven you know and then children of the dark obviously i've written that sequel certain stories i always say the story is the boss you know and, and i know that i sound like some annoying you know like somebody on the back of a uh, one of those cheesy author photos staring off meaningfully into the distance. <laughs> Are we annoyed by that crap, that whole shtick, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I'm annoyed by it, and I'm a writer. So I don't want to sound like that, but having said that, I do think that some stories just beg to be continued because they're not done yet. Other stories are self-contained, and they're done. And I, and I think that to, to not follow the story that's not done would be a mistake. And I think to try to stretch that other story that is done, I think it would really diminish the, the first installment, like The Nightmare Girl. I think if I wrote a sequel to that, I think it would, it, would, it would really tarnish the first book. And I think that that one just needs to, to be what it is. But yeah, with these other stories, The Raven isn't done. I mean, I think it's – I was happy with the way it ended, that book, but I don't think that the story is complete. Like the um, kind of like that there was a little novella, one of the first things I ever read by you called Exorcist Road. Yes. Yeah. And that story, I didn't know it as a reader, of course, because it wasn't my idea. But that story demanded a novel called Exorcist Falls to happen. Yeah. I'm glad to hear you say that, man. Um, and, yeah, it just felt like kind of the whole precursor to, hey, something's coming, you know, and it didn't feel like that when I read it. It felt like a complete story and a horrifying one in and of itself. And then you segue into Exorcist Falls and just kick people right in the teeth. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that one, that one, I think still for me anyway, I think that one's by far like the most brutal and like honestly i i didn't see any of it coming like just kind of how like extreme it was. and like you know kind of knowing you a little bit through talking through social media like when i i had read some other books first and then when i read um exorcist falls like that one totally took me by surprise yes the ending especially yeah, yeah. It, it was kind of it was kind of like well that's you know that's I was like, that what? series <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That is the bleakest, most twisted ending of any of my books, I, I think, right? I mean, you can't get worse than that. You I can't. agree. No, yeah. I can't imagine any story ending. Like, the only like maybe uh, there's a Brian, I don't want to give away the endings of any Brian's books, but, you know, mm -hmm. City of the Dead has a pretty bleak ending, and there are a couple yeah, others yeah. he's written that have pretty bleak endings. Um, but what's, what's crazy is, guys, is that that, 
I, I've toyed with the idea, and I still might have a third book in that series. <laughs> oh, that would be awesome. As awful as that ending was, right? But that's part of yeah. why. Like, I, part of me thinks you can't leave him like that. You can't <laughs> character in that position where he was. <laughs> yeah. I just thought about the position. It's like, oh my god, he almost killed Shane. <laughs> I'll, I'll have nightmares about that. He's left there. Wait, I didn't think about that. I just was done with the story. He's been there since 2017. He's been... <laughs> I'm going to need therapy for that. <laughs> They'll commit me. Well, you see, this guy is... <laughs> Uh, really concerned about him, you know. Yeah, I can't go any farther. Or I'll spoil the hell out of X. Yeah. So. Yeah. And yeah. Was, go ahead, Jonathan. No, I was just gonna ask you guys when would be a good time. Um, and you, you obviously, it's you guys can ask whatever you want. We'll talk about whatever you want. But when would be a good time for me to talk about how stinking amazing Laurel is? Now. Oh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so folks, if you t- tuned in to listen to you know me talk or whatever and give you all the, the nauseating details about meeting my wife or whatever, um, let me just tell you, to make up for that, um, I'm going to give you a recommendation. So you need to go by Laurel Hightower's, um, you, need, you need to go by Whispers in the Dark and, and, and Crossroads. Um, you know, I've, those, uh, Laurel, are those the two main things that are out so far? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. I just want to make sure I'm not. Those the only two I've read. I've read. All right. I haven't read your short short work or anything like that. But you know, sometimes you read somebody and and you just know. You just know that this person is just unbelievable. And and what's so what's so fantastic about Laurel? Um. And this here's the thing. I don't know if it matters to you, listeners, or not. And here's the thing. I I, I told I, I believe you know the whole artist from the art. I understand separating those things. And and yeah. I'm not my stories, okay? So I, the things that happen to my stories, like Exorcist Falls, no, I'm not like that, okay? Um, <laughs> but, but, but having said that, there is a part of me that if I find out a writer is a complete, just just hor- just a horrid person, it, it's hard, and, and that author is living. Like, Lovecraft is dead, so I, mm. I feel like I, can, I can read his work and, and you know, you know, really kind of be objective about all of it and, and stuff. And I revisit his work, because it's important um, I think that, you know, if he were in the room with me, it's still alive, I'd hate the guy. But, um, you know, I, I think that he's important in literature. Uh, there are other authors that are alive right now that I don't read just because I think that they they actually do damage to other people because they are, you know, misogynist or they're, they're, they're racist or whatever. And there are too many great writers, you know, to, to, to waste my time and to fund people like that. Now, here's the thing with Laurel. She's the opposite of that. Laurel... Absolutely is like an outstanding human and just an exemplary writer. And if, if that sort of thing matters to you, so just know from the people who know her, she's fantastic. So not only are you reading amazing work, because and, that, and that's, the, that's the main thing. I'm not saying to buy her books because she's nice. No, I'm just saying that she also happens to be a fantastic human. But, but the main reason to buy her work is because you're going to be transported. Um, I, I read Whispers in the Dark, and I'm, I'm like... I started out and I'm like, this is this is really good. She's got some, she's got skill. Um, and then the further I got into it, I'm like, I'm forgetting that this is a, like a first novel. I, I in fact I, I'd completely forgotten this is a first novel. 
And then I'm like gasping and like, oh my gosh, I didn't see that coming, this and there, like I would for a really wonderful seasoned, you know, author. And and I think you just about said successful, Jans. I heard it. Oh, you know what I mean. <laughs> Stop halted because that was going to sound wrong. You know what I mean. Like yes. an established writer, Laurel is extremely successful for how new she is. But but yeah, by successful I meant like Stephen King or whatever. Oh yeah. She, yeah no. But she, the fact is is that she's just um she's got mad skills. Uh, and, and, and you can pick up either one of those books and just be transported. So I cannot give her a high enough endorsement. Um, please, please, you know, if you listen to my, this podcast and you like my work, go buy it. But, but only if you also buy one of her books, because uh, I promise you, you'll love it. Yeah. Inkheist, uh, thoroughly endorses this message 100% of the way. And not only is she a great writer and a great person, she's a person who's sitting there squirming in her fucking chair right now because we're talking about her. (laughs) But that's also good, right? She's not bow down before me. I am the gift to all literary, all, all the literary realm. You know, that's the cool thing. The fact that she probably is a little embarrassed shows that she's she's got yeah. humility, and I, and, I, and I respect that. Yeah, what you just described is her private persona. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very, very much. I, I, I do very much appreciate that. And, and um, also just hugely... Uh, you know, that you were willing to blurb my book, um, especially at very short notice and just, you know, just make it very approachable. I do vastly appreciate that. And um, it was kind of one of the things when I started, you know, really delving into the indie market here, which was just an absolute joy, um, you know, because as I've said probably a hundred times, I, I was so sad for a while thinking that horror consisted, and I love Stephen King, but I had read everything. You know? <laughs> and so just, you know, him and a couple others and then realizing how many other authors there were. And, you know, I, I, I read The Siren and the Spectre um, and just absolutely loved it. And then, you know, started following you on social media. And one of the things that I noticed, too, was was how um, adept you were and how committed you were to kind of, you know, paying forward uh, some of the um, support, I guess, that you had gotten from some other authors. And I just felt like that was such a, a great way to do things. Um, because I feel like you're never too big and never too small to help support other authors. And it's also much less embarrassing than, than kind of shouting yourself out all the time, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that's the thing. I, I feel like, I don't know, the people I'm drawn to are the people, this sounds whatever, cheesy, old fat, I don't care. I mean, I'm drawn to people who are A, authentic, but B, they prefer to, to build others up rather than tear them down. And there are plenty of those who like to tear others down, but I just don't get that. I don't get that. You know, I think most of us phase out of that after age six or seven. You know, we we, we, we fry ants with magnifying glasses, or we pull the wings off flies, and then hopefully we get that out of our system. Um, but I think some people never really do. They still have that urge to inflict pain. Um, I'd much rather, I'd much rather, you know, try to, to use whatever, whatever, you know, even if it makes one person pick up a book, you know, when I know somebody is a great writer and, and, and also a person that I can, that I that I can support. And I just, I think that that's, I think that's the way we should all be. You talked about that. Like it doesn't matter where you are. Yeah. 
on the ladder. I mean, I just think that it's what a what a really miserable existence for people to spend their time tearing others down. Right. And what 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 an edifying and and life affirming existence it is to try to to try to do the opposite, to try to 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 help in any way we can. And it pays, and it not only pay you. It's not only you paying it forward. It pays back too. You know, I mean, because you look at guys like Brian Keene and Dallas Mayer, and people like that. Um, they paid it forward, fucking big time. And they're also doing. You know, Dallas did well. Brian's doing quite well. You yeah, know, works, isn't it? Funny yeah. how it works. That the that the guys, are, you know, I mean, the the humans that are most um, generous. And I mean, you, there are a lot, and there are certain, like Josh Mallerman, my gosh. I mean, that, oh. that that dude is like, I mean, he is so loving and he is so authentic and so kind and doesn't doesn't have a cruel bone in his body. And, and, and wow, and I'm not saying that's why he's successful, but sure doesn't hurt. No. Sure doesn't hurt. No, it doesn't. And I, and I agree wholeheartedly with you. I love that guy like a brother. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I just feel like it's one of the just the joys of and in particular, you know, getting to do this podcast, too, is how many different authors I've discovered that I never otherwise would have. And being able to have at least somewhat of a platform to kind of, you know, give voice sometimes to authors that, again, that other folks might not have heard of. Yeah. Um, and I just, you know, there's there are so many amazing voices out there. And I just I think all of them, you know, deserve some time. I'm in the spotlight and I would just, I would kind of rather see that, you know, I was a reader long before I was a writer. So yeah, definitely agree. Yeah. And it's, it's, yeah, that's the coolest thing about running this podcast is people reach out to us that we otherwise never would have encountered, you know, and we've discovered gold that way. Not you, of course. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you're gold, but you, the hell you you're were. gold. You're gold, but you kicked my fucking door in. You didn't. <laughs> First thing I ever read by this guy was Wolfland. Oh yeah. man! I, I think that might have been mine too. Oh, what a way to begin, right? <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> One of the I have actually not read Wolfland yet. It's I I have it um and haven't uh started it yet. But one of the things that cracks me up about that is I don't know how it happens, but any time werewolves are brought up, um Jason and I'm blanking on his last name, but he's Pinhead Spawn. Um, he will just pop up out of nowhere and be like Wolfland, and then just disappear again. And it's just like, I mean, he's just like yep. a jack-in-the-box for, for that particular book. It's just, you might not hear from him for a while, and then he just pops up, Wolfland, and then he's gone again. Is it Cavalier? Is that his name, Cavalier? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. I, I knew it. I was just blanking on it. So, yes, yeah. That's hilarious. I love, I love that. I mean, I love the book, but it is, like you're kind of alluding to, it's definitely one of my most brutal. I mean, that one, yeah. man, that just, oh, good gravy. Mayhem. It's glorious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, thank you. Somebody talk for Christ's yeah. sake. <laughs> I killed it. I killed it with my with my effusive praise of Laurel. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> well, I know you had mentioned one other, pro- one of your upcoming projects in Halloween Gods, which I hope we can touch on in a little bit. But one thing that I was curious about, um, and you know, for people who follow your newsletter, they might be familiar with this too, is Amity, which you said is a Jaws-related book, and it's your first non-supernatural. And I was just wondering, because like a lot of your books, and I think pretty much all of them so far to date have had some kind of supernatural element to it, what kind of inspired you to kind of take that leap to kind of step outside of, you know, something that you were familiar with and kind of, you know, try and weave your, you know, your voice and how you approach horror into something that is based totally in reality with no supernatural elements to it yeah yeah i mean the the choice to do something non-supernatural wasn't really like that part wasn't so much a conscious choice it was just a very like naturally i I guess most of my novels they develop you know by by happenstance in these weird natural ways that are also just strange and mystical but i so it was one summer i was it was like 2000 uh boy 2018 i was in um in virginia for scares at care i believe and i the thing is is that like jaws i i love clearly rich you're you're a jaws fan can i assume that yeah yeah i mean otherwise you probably wouldn't wouldn't care about (laughs) right i mean at least you wouldn't be intrigued about amity um but i think that jaws it is. I look at it as like part of the Mount Rushmore of cinema, like Star Wars, Wizard of Oz. It's like that kind of famous, right? And it, and it deserves to be. It's extraordinary. I mean, Jaws. Uh-huh. It, every time I watch it, it gets better. And guys, I watch it three times a semester with my students, like pausing, right examining, and and my students writing about it, and we all discuss it. And um, but it gets better and better. It, I get I get e- more and more eager to watch it instead of getting burned out on it. It, it is endlessly rewarding and so it had been in my heart a long time you know that jaws love and then it scares the care several of the people several of the friends i've made there just always want to talk about jaws it just comes up and they want to have conversations about it and 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 that was fresh on my mind because like one night they had said there's this guy named jeff prettyman a really cool dude uh, lives in uh, i think around williamsburg he called me over he goes he goes jans i know you're busy 10 minutes let's discuss jaws and, and so i like went over and we like like five of us like talked about jaws for 10 minutes and it was just a blast and stimulating and fun and then I, they, they taught me new things so that that was that was already working on me and then like the next day i think my daughter juliet um jewel i call her she and i were swimming in um the james river i mean the whole family was but jewel and i were like at a different part like just a few feet away from the family and she um, she just got in this huge aquatic horror phase. She wanted to watch every single, like the shallows, Jaws, um, you know, deep, uh, deep Blue Sea, that uh, 47 meters down, like every single aquatic horror movie that, that still comes out, she's just obsessed with. And so she said, Dad, why don't you write an, aqu- an aquatic horror movie or aquatic horror novel? And, and so Jaws was on my mind. My daughter requested me to write one. And I'd always been just intrigued, like, Water, that whole, it can be scary. Like it's mysterious and, and deep and, and th- there's so much potential there with water. And, and there are aquatic horror novels. So it's kind of a subgenre of suspense and horror. So it's like all those things crash together. And then I'm like, 
you know, I've got it, I've got it. And then I started to develop the idea for Amity. And then, you know, the fact was once I developed the idea, there was no way to make that supernatural. I mean, I think that most, I, I guess it's possible to make an aquatic horror super, supernatural, but like the titles I just mentioned, other than like Jaws the Revenge, right? <laughs> you know, I think that if you if if I were to have made it supernatural, I think it would have been just cheesy. Um, it is going to be a little meta. I mean, there's a lot of Jaws connectivity in it, but I think that it just works really well as a thriller. It's definitely got horrific elements, but it's it's more of a thriller. But I think it evolved naturally. And I just talked for like 25 minutes. So sorry, Rich, but there's your answer. A de- a, you know, a decent answer. You know, no, the longer you perfect. talk, the happier we are, Jonathan. Yeah. Uh, we, we like long answers because we learn things and our readers learn things. Yes, and it, it just made me think. I listened to your episode on the Necronoma.com yeah. um, where yeah. you guys broke down Jaws. And it's I, I have I've consistently said I really like that podcast um, in large part because I just never really understood symbolism like at all um and i feel like listening to it really has kind of taught me to to look for things and and kind of see that some things mean other things um you know and i and i i really loved that because i love jaws that's that's one of my favorite movies it's one of my kind of comfort horror movies but i had never examined it in that depth you know um even down to one of the things that really struck me was when you were talking about alex kentner's mom and how they were, you know, they displayed with just the one line of her saying, oh, Alex Kentner, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're turning into a prune, prune you know, yeah. yeah, that they just displayed immediately just with that. This is an attentive mother, you know, and, and it's just, uh, there was all those little things. I just, I loved that episode. I thought it was excellent. That's so good to hear. Yeah. I, I, I love, I loved talking about it. I love, yeah. And I think that that's, you know, there, there's, there's so much symbolism there and there's just so much just ruthless like almost superhuman efficiency um ryan lewis is 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 my manager and he's been teaching me how to write screenplays and laurel i think you know who that is um and he uh he's this he'll say to me like look we'll spend an hour on one line of dialogue and he'll say to me no we that's not good enough we don't we don't have it yet you know what what this, this line has to do this this and this and, and, and he'll say to me, like, you've written a page of, of dialogue here. I'm going to give you two lines. You've got to get the entire you've got to get these seven points across in these two lines. And if you <laughs> and, and, and yeah, the, the thing is, is that's what Jaws does. Jaws is the, the the exemplar of efficiency. That line you just uttered, Alex Kintner, you're beginning to prune. We get some commiseration with Alex because we've all most of us have had that mom or whatever that we get annoyed by. Come on. Seriously. Right. I'm not a patient. <laughs> So we connect with Alex there, but we also see that this mother cares deeply, right? We also implant this later torment in his mother because she's going to regret letting him go back in the water. That that line does at least triple duty, maybe quadruple duty, all right? But it's only a few words, and I think that's what a great screenplay accomplishes. Um, you know, when you talked about symbolism, uh, that's I think it's maybe just because I'm I'm I've been teaching English for all these years. And, you know, doing that, you start to like Richard Matheson's Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, that, that amazing short story. Um, I've been teaching that for, for like a couple decades. And in, I, one of the reasons why I, I never replace it with another story is because it works on this multi-tiered level. There's so much symbolism in that story. 
Um, you know, because in the beginning of that story, just for this is just an, uh, for instance, um, he is the main character is suicidal. And, you know, you can read that story. He's trying to kill this gremlin on the wing. You could read that story as that gremlin is his suicidal urge trying and he's the plane and that gremlin's trying to take down the plane and he's trying to, to fight it, trying to destroy it. Um, and then, you know, you, you take that and you continue, you can run with that all through the story. And then the story is completely different than it was the first time. And so like, you know, we were talking earlier about the Raven, like the peach grove, you know, those peaches, there's, there's some symbolism there and not that people need to know that or, or even care about that when they read it. But, you know, it's like it, they're, they're, everything is withered and he's trying to find that one that one peach to eat, but also at the same time, he's trying to find that one human, that one connection that's not going to end in, in sourness and bitterness and betrayal and loss. Um, and that's why he meets Jim in the peach grove, because that's exactly Jim is that one that he's searching for. Um, and so like in all my books, I, I, I do it like almost like on an unconscious level. Um, but I, I, I love symbolism. I love it so much. And I love that it's different things to different readers because we all bring different, you know, tools, different experiences to the books. And then we all see things differently. And I, and I love it when people do that. Absolutely. And, and I, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's just sort of like finding this, you know, Easter egg hunt you never knew was there. Sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, that's exactly what I did, too, after after I went on the Necronomicon and talked about Jennifer's body. I started listening to it, and it's like, oh, my God, this just opens up so many layers of story. It does. Yeah. 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 Well, and it's, I mean, this is kind of, it's going to sound a little bit silly, but it's like this, it was actually kind of one of those things that sort of bothered me about myself that it was stuff that I feel like there were all these instances like in school where everyone would have recognized that there was symbolism and I was sitting there going like what you know and I just was always completely on on the surface level of things and it felt like this you know just this language I couldn't speak that I could never really delve into um and it's just one of those things that I've started learning lately and and um Haley Piper uh is is another one she's she writes um well, she's an excellent writer and she also, I really, really love her short fiction too. And yeah. she's one of those ones that like, she, she wrote a really great piece about symbolism, which was cool in a lot of ways in large part. Cause it was like, okay, so you don't get symbolism. Who cares? You're still getting all these other things. Exactly. Now, it was, Seriously. it was like, she gave me this permission to be like, Oh, okay. Well, I really feel better about things. Because so. <laughs> <laughs> it's just one lens. I mean, it's just one way to, to read a story, but it's yeah. one of a billion ways to read a story. Exactly. I mean, it, yeah. For sure. You know, and, and it's funny, Laurel, you know, we're talking about whispers, you know, that's that in, in your in your in your book. It's like the scars that the um, that the protagonist has. You know, I think that those are, you know, like this. It's like a mirror image of of the emotional scars, you know, that she's that she's going through. And that's that's only just, you know, you know, one thing that jumps jumps out at me. Um, but but I, I read your story that way. Like I read your story and I see you know, it working on several levels. Absolutely. It's, it's funny because it's I, I'm I'm like you. I think that a lot of that stuff is subconscious. Like I never, I, I rarely sit down and say like, okay, I want to work this particular symbolism in. But now that I know how to recognize it a little bit better, sometimes I'll be writing and I'll be like, ooh, ooh, there's a symbol there. I'm so proud. You know. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, I think that's right. I don't think it is most. I don't think it's conscious. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think most of the time it is conscious. I think most of, I think that, that you write in a white heat and you just get all on the page. And then later on is when you notice those things. Like the peach grove thing to which I just alluded. No, I didn't think about that when I wrote it. Um, but then the more I'm thinking about, I'm, you know, and I'm thinking about Des and the situation, Jim and his situation and where that takes place. I just felt compelled to set it there in that spot. And it could have been anywhere. Right. That scene, they could have met anywhere in the world um, as long as it's rural, you know, Indiana. But, you know, the fact is, is that that I think there was a reason why they were there. And I think that that adds just a little bit to the story. And see, I'm that guy with symbolism that is kind of like like with my poetry people will say i love your symbolism there and i'm like oh thank you which symbolism (laughs) (laughs) it was all very direct it was all very literal (laughs) but but the point being is because because it's accidental it's not accidental necessarily but it's not necessarily ever intentional yeah i think that's well said yeah. And, and you're, con- you know, you're a complex person and, you know, you might, you might not own up to that, but, you know, I've interacted with you online for a while and, and there's, there are layers to you, there are levels to you. And when you compose poetry, that's you on the page. And I think that invariably those different layers of you are going to start to manifest themselves, you know, sometimes in a little glimmer, sometimes more overtly, um, but you can't hide. You can't, if you're writing from the heart, you can't hide on the page. You're scaring everybody, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Thank you. Truth, <laughs> man. I agree. I agree. I'm. I am a big fan of of your poetry, as you know. Thank you. Absolutely awesome. I suck at that. I'm worse. I suck worse than Laurel at. <laughs> Thank <I'm> you. <laughs> well, let's continue then. Let's continue with the praise. <laughs> I'm gonna pull some of it up and let's let's start dissecting it, man. <laughs> all, right, all right, hanging up now. <laughs> I think that's just that what you just said though about you know you can't hide. Um, it shows up on the page. I think that's also something that's really important, maybe for newer writers to hear. Yeah. Um, you know, as they're kind of crafting these stories, like I don't know. I, I think maybe it was Keith Rawson that we talked to who mentioned that. Uh, you know, he had sort of, I think his first three novels were not thematically similar, but he had sort of this, this type of a main character. Right. And it's, it was just interesting because, you know, I don't feel like any of his stuff looks like any of the other stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But sometimes you do kind of get stuck in this rut of wondering, like, am I just writing the same thing over and over? And I don't think that it's that I think it is commonly that, you know, it's not that your main characters are you, but you have to be part of them for it to work. Mm. I like that. That that was really good. That belongs on like a, a piece of wall art. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's very true. That's awesome. Well, I think it's I think it's kind of good. It's like a I don't know. I I this is something that you know Mailerman has talked about some too. Is just like and and you're never going to be able to remove all the stumbling blocks for anybody when they're writing for the first time. But again, it's like, if you could just, you know, tell somebody like it's, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be perfect the first time and it's okay. You know, if it's a reflection of who you are at this time and it's what you need to get on the page. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think I think that's the thing. I think that we um, Dallas Mayor Jack Ketchum, you know, I know, Shane, you've mentioned him quite a bit. And he gave me one of the best pieces of advice. And I, I mentioned this in the dark game. But um, I think that, you know, there are people there are two extremes to which we can go. We can go to the overconfidence extreme and the lack of confidence extreme. And I, I do think that the overconfidence extreme in the final analysis is a little more dangerous because I think then we we like lower our own ceilings. Because if we think we know everything, then we're not going to be working on ourselves. We're not going to be learning as much as we probably could because we think we know it all. I think I think that, you know, the underconfidence, the lack of confidence is um, healthier. But I think a lot of people suffer from that. And I certainly suffered from it. Um, Jack Ketchum, Dallas Mayor, said to me, it scares the care one time. Oh, it was so funny. And I, I'm going to say, um, I don't know how to, because I, 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 I'm a teacher, and so I don't cuss when I'm on podcasts. So I'll say bleep instead of the F word, because that sound, it sounds so stupid, and it completely diminishes the power yeah, of what yeah. he said. But anyway, I said to him, I'm like, you know, Dallas, you have done so much. Stephen King called you the scariest man in America. I'm like, don't you sometimes worry about your, I said, because I do. I, I said, don't you worry that your next book isn't going to be as good as your last? I said, I worry about that a little bit. I worried, well, what if I get worse? Because I feel like the stuff I'm writing is decent now. And his answer was, was bleep, bleep fear. <laughs> and, and I, I just stared at him like this blank face. And he says, seriously, what has fear ever done for you? How has it ever helped you? How has it ever enriched you? or in any way been a positive influence on your writing. And I was like, it was, it was so simple, but it was like a, this thunderbolt from the sky, this epiphany. I'm like, huh, you're right. <laughs> it, it hasn't helped me. It's I, just did, I just did the same fucking thing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's like, it's, held, it's like, that's, it's held me back, but it's never helped me. And yeah, I still, yeah, sometimes insecurity and doubt creeps in, but it was so liberating. It's like, he gave me permission not that I needed permission, I guess, but maybe I did because I idolized and still idolize him. But um, yeah, then I, I just because it's so logical and it's so true. Fear doesn't help the writing process. You should feel free and liberated and just go. And, and I think that, that, yeah, there's there's time for nitpicking later. There's time for for, you know, honest analysis later. You know, when you edit, yeah, be really ruthless, be really self-doubting or whatever, because that'll make the work better. But in the writing process, man, fear has no place. Just go. I agree. I, I agree. It's like when I finally put my poetry out there for the very first time, it was because people around me have basically said versions of that very thing um set the fear aside because you're never gonna you're never going to get any better and you're never going to be satisfied with yourself if you don't start putting that out there and you know moving forward and they yeah. were right they were absolutely right yeah and um i don't know if it was necessarily fear but it seems like you kind of took that advice um i know you recently started writing screenplays and you might have probably have been apprehensive at first about that i would i'm not entirely sure but um i know the first one you worked on was the siren and the specter and i was just wondering because i know i'd heard you on previous podcasts you kind of said that was like your first attempt at doing it and now that you've kind of been working through that, you know, do you find it's easier? And do you find that you might want to create like an original screenplay where you just 
it starts as a screenplay and finishes as a screenplay. Wow. That second question, I honestly don't know. I wish I had a better answer for that, but I don't know. And it's funny. Here's how maybe I sound like a simpleton. I never even considered that before. <laughs> I never even considered doing just like an original screenplay that's not an adaptation of, of, of my own work just because I have such a burning desire to adapt my own work because I've always kind of envisioned them as movies. Um, but yeah, I, I could definitely see myself doing an original screenplay. I think that'd be a blast. I love it, man. I love it so much. I'm having so much fun. And, and, and it came about because of two people. It came about because of... Um, Ryan Lewis, here, here was our text exchange. It was so simple. Um, it was, I remember last September or October when I, in 2019, I, he texted me. He said, have you ever considered writing a screenplay? And I said, well, because I've been teaching film for years and years. But I've, I said, well, I've kind of been interested, but I wouldn't know the first thing about it. I'd have no idea where to start. His answer is this simple with an exclamation mark. I'll teach you. <laughs> and that's it. And then we were off to the races. That's how, that's how like, you know, for him, he's like, he's got that Dallas Mayor Jack Ketchum attitude. It's like, what is there to worry about? Let's just go do it. Right. What's the worst that can happen? You know, I mean, who, who knows? I mean, there are a billion screenplays out there. Maybe it'll sell. Maybe it won't. But it's going to be fun and you're going to learn and you're going to get better and you're going to have, you know, a, a great time. And, and so it was that. And it was Joe R. Lansdale, too. I don't know if I've ever said this to anybody uh, like online or on a podcast, but I Joe Lansdale deserves such credit um, because he we had a 90 minute conversation last summer. And in that conversation, just out of nowhere, out of nowhere, this is before Ryan said that. OK, so part, part of why I said well, part of why I like went along with Ryan when he said, I'll teach you, Joe. And I can't do his voice very well because he's got that East Texas accent. But out of nowhere, there's like the slight pause in this conversation. He goes, Jonathan, you got to start writing screenplays. And I'm like, what? He's like, you, you got a You got a very visual style. You got a very cinematic style. You got to start writing screenplays. I'm telling you, I think you'd really take to it. I think it'd really feel natural for you. You, you got to do that. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, it's like a he's he's my like an idol. But then yeah. B, but, 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 but B, I want to please him. Right. Because like, well, I guess because he's my idol. But I want to please him more than I want to please any of my teachers or coaches or ever. Like I want to, to make Joe happy. So I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> Joe wants me to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna do it, man. Because this guy, <laughs> like, he's a, he's a legend. Like Joe, like when he says something, you listen to him, man. He's not. You don't even have to, because it's, it's wise. That guy speaks truth. There is no BS. And like some of the stuff he said to me over the time has been so harsh. Like in that 90 minute conversation, he dropped some truth bombs on me. They just like <laughs> made me tremble. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Joe, that hurt. He's like. Hey, man. <laughs> <laughs> but the dude is but the dude is so inspiring oh. i'm i mean it's like you know it's like him saying that to you about you should write a screenplay is like him booing you with a magic ring it was it was i was oh. like isn't there some story with a girl in magic ballet slippers i had the magic ballet slippers right yeah <laughs> i love that though i love how something that you know, that maybe can seem that small can really just sort of alter. It just changes your view of it. It's like, it just like just opens an avenue for you in your own mind of whether it's something that you can do. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause you're like, okay, so if this guy who knows so much more about 
everything, take your pick, than I do. If he thinks I can do it, well, then maybe I can do it, right? Maybe I should give it a shot. Maybe I should stop being. Maybe I should stop quivering over here or worrying because I've always been interested. Guys, I'm a movie just I'm obsessed with movies since three since I was three years old. And, and, and I've and I've owned screenwriting books forever and I've used those for my creative writing classes. I've used those to become a better writer because I think these different things cross pollinate these different types of like I think being like writing plays reading plays helps you become a better novelist. I think reading poetry helps you become a better screenwriter. I mean, I think all these things crash into each other. And um, so I, I, for years I'd thought about it, but only in the abstract. But when Joe said it, it's like, oh, wow, I guess it's possible. Yeah. Right? I guess I need to, to, to get rid of whatever these, these misgivings I have and just do it, man. Follow Dallas's advice and do it. Yeah, Joe would know. Uh, yeah, he would yeah. know. That that guy has yeah he's done everything, everything. Absolutely, yeah. I just reviewed a movie recently that uh, his son is Keith his son. Yeah, Keith is his son. Um, he was involved in the writing of. He was one of the writers of. That yeah. was pretty fun. Nice. Yeah, talented talented clan all the way around. Ridiculously, and you you know you know who holds that whole family together is Joe's wife. I bet. And he'd be the first to tell you that. Like they like the the other three, you know, Joe and his Joe and Casey and, and Keith, they get all the notoriety. I think he I, I don't know, I don't know how many kids he has, but those are the two kids of which I know. But um but yeah, his wife is just the like <laughs> she's the coolest and funniest and yeah, like she's the one that kind of just I think I don't know, she kinda keeps it keeps everything together. So uh yeah, she what a what an amazing family, right? I mean they're they're extraordinary. Uh, he's got that kid. What is his name? Nikki, the dog. Oh yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I was so like confused and guilty. I'm like, oh, I forgot Nikki. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, what a bad person! <laughs> forgot about the dog. Yeah, the, the most important kid. Gee, <laughs> Nikki, if you're listening to this, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, even he's talented though he's really good at being cute yeah you're not, you not kidding when joe tweets him those things get like a hundred likes whenever joe tweets a picture of his of his dog yeah yeah the dog's got a lot better personality than joe does so it's, <laughs> um you know the thing is is that joe is like you know major martial arts expert and teacher and he could kick my ass so i hope that doesn't make him mad Oh my gosh, he invented his own martial art. I know. <laughs> like, really? Did that even yeah. happen? It's in, it's crazy. Like that guy, yeah. And there are a lot of tough people in horror, right? I mean, you got you know, like Wrath James White is is is, is I think he's a, he's been an MMA fighter and yeah, Mayberry. Yeah, Mayberry and I'm th- why am I Laird Baron? I think has has got like a background. Um, I think he's a pretty pretty tough customer, but but yeah, Lansdale. That guy, and I think that's why when you read like Happen Leonard, and, and like and like Leonard will will kick somebody in the kneecap, like you feel that in your marrow, mm-hmm. you feel the tendon yep. way, right? The ligaments tearing because Joe's done it, <laughs> like he's lived. <laughs> and you know, you know, when you read that stuff, that Joe's Joe is so it's so authentic because he knows how to do that to you. He does. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I feel like I need to train before we go to the next con. Like, <laughs> I I just thank goodness that that, uh, that Joe is a that, that he's got a great heart, man. Because if if he wanted to do damage, he could, yeah, he could. Nice yeah, I'd be nice I'd be on the floor. Yeah. There's yeah. a great apocalyptic story in here i think in which the apocalypse happens while we're all at a convention and you know Ooh. lansdale <laughs> and mayberry and like alan baxter and laird baron just save us yeah, all baxter too yep <laughs> well, yeah, they end up, yeah they end up i th- i don't know though i think you know some of those guys you just mentioned would end up being the leaders of you know like the governor's camp <laughs> 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 oh man. Uh so go ahead, Laurel. No, go ahead. Um another I just wanted to bring up uh Halloween Gods because I I remember hearing about that the title sounds awesome, kind of the inspiration that you had mentioned, you know, behind it like when you read something wicked this way comes and it kind of started even then yeah. I was just wondering what you could tell us about that. Um, Cause I know the last, I think the last time I remember hearing about it, I didn't think you had finished the draft, but as somebody who is obsessed with, you know, fall Halloween and pretty much everything associated with it. When I had seen that, I was like, Oh, I, I need to know more about this and I cannot wait to read it. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's awesome to hear. Um, honestly, this would be, I, I've never, I don't think I've ever talked about this one anywhere on the air. And um, I've barely talked about this one, like in my private life. I think uh, Ryan and Josh are the only two I've spoken to about this. I don't even think I've told my wife about this one yet. So, so the problem with that is that this is going to sound really probably halting and awkward, but I'll, I'll do my best. Um, I, and I, by the way, I'm glad you asked because it, maybe it'll help me the next time I talk about it. <laughs> maybe when I talk to my wife about it, I'll, I'll not sound like a fool because I'll have rehearsed here. But, but yeah, it's a, <laughs> I, I love, um, I love Halloween. I love it so much. And, and like you're talking about, Rich, it's like this, it's, it's intoxicating. It's, it's this, there's nothing like it. it, it the air changes, the, the sights and smells and tastes and sounds are like no other. The textures, it's like um, there's there's mystery in Halloween. There, yeah. there, there's beauty in Halloween. And I've always just been intoxicated by it. So I wanted to capture that a little bit. That's part of why I love Something Wicked This Way comes so much. Because I really feel like it's a love letter to, in a way, um, like you really capture that vibe in that book. And, and so I, I try to capture the way I felt. It's a coming-of-age story, but with older kids. The kids are uh, 17, and like four of the main characters are 17 or 16. Um, they're right around there, 16, 17, slightly older than the characters in Children of the Dark. And I love, I love coming-of-age stories. And, and so, you know, obviously I've, I've done that with Children of the Dark 1 and 2. Um, I'm going to continue that Children of the Dark series, but it's a very different, like, vibe than that in some ways because it's obviously a very different story so there, there, there's a backdrop the, the two i guess backdrops to this there are three things so there are five main characters five teenagers three young ladies and two young men and um they there's this 
so there are abductions taking place in this small town. And um, that's one part of the backdrop. And then another part of the backdrop is, uh, and I know these just sound like tropes, they sound whatever, but I, I, I feel like, I, I feel like, you know, Chuck, Chuck Wendig said this, he had this list of top 25 or 25 things a great character needs. And the 25th thing is you, you, what you bring to the character. That's because you can always say, well, that sounds like this story or that sounds like that movie or whatever. It's all about how you individualize it. Right. And so I, I, I'm over worrying about the fact that, yeah, I know there, there are abductions in other novels. I know, obviously, obviously, I know that there are bullies in other novels and coming of age stories. There are always bullies. Um, but I feel like it's 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 a different take on that than than I've done before or I've seen before. But, yeah, so there's this backdrop. These bullies are, are really um, tormenting these uh, five main characters. And then also there's this house um, outside of town that's called the October house. And, um, every Halloween, like it, it, it basically lies dormant. Nobody ever sees the guy who lives there, but every October, October 1st, all of a sudden this place is just exploding with Halloween accoutrement. It is just like every tree. It's, it's this big, like old house with this, it's behind a wrought iron fence and it's a big yard and, and there are all these trees in the yard from every branch hangs some sort of Halloween figure. Um, there, there are jack-o'-lanterns carved in all these intricate ways all over the property in the yard on the pillars that lead into the house. And um, the, the, the five main characters have been wondering about that their entire lives. And then I think it's just in the second scene of the book, um, they decide they're going to hop that fence and go there. And then that's when, you know, <laughs> um, it's, it, there's magic in the story. Um, there's obviously horror. There's there's romance, um, there's brutality. Um, I just I really am happy with the way that the, that the rough draft turned out. I'm I usually like I look back at the rough draft and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just an absolute mess. This sucks. Um, I don't know how I'm gonna. Sign in the Spectre. When I looked when I was when I looked at the rough draft for the first time, I thought this is the worst thing I've ever written. And 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 now it probably ties with Children of the Dark to be my most successful book so far um as far as like sales and all that stuff i mean people have really responded to it um and i'm very proud of it. i mean i love signing the specter now but when i when i did the rough draft i just was appalled by it um and and i you know when i looked at halloween gods i'm just now starting to look at the rough draft but i'm really i'm really pleased by it and i feel like that's a good sign um but i definitely think it'll scratch all those itches people who love halloween people who love coming of age people who just love love good horror stories i think it's gonna I, I hope it's going to work um, when, I, when I'm done editing. Oh, but fuck, man. Yeah. Rough, rough draft. How fucking cruel can you be, man? I kind of hate you right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want that book right here in Same. my lap. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like the kind of thing that you would, you know, just read every year around this time, like to start getting in the seasonal mood. That just sounds perfect. Yeah, it does. That's really good to hear. I, last last Halloween, I read This is Halloween by James Moore. Um, you know, Jim Moore, he's he's such a fantastic writer. But I think that, yeah, and then Dark Harvest by Norman Partridge. Um, you know, there's certain, oh, geez, Louise. Yeah, I mean, poet poetry. That, that, you as a poet, Shane, would just, I'm sure you appreciate the sparkle of that language. Absolutely, yeah. Um, he's one of the best at it, and him and Koja both. 
are really, really good at it. She's obscenely good. She's ridiculously good. She's like, yeah, she makes she makes me mad when I do. Yeah. I love talking to her about like the performance art stuff too. Like just the way that she takes writing and, and the, and just the production of it and the presentation to these whole other levels that I never thought about. It's crazy. It is. And it's all like part of a process. It's all of a piece. It's all intertwined in these, these just bizarre, wonderful ways that only make sense to her. And, and, and yeah, when you read it, you feel it, right? You might not completely you might not complete. I mean, it's not like one of those. It's not like a machine that you can turn over and see how the cogs all fit necessarily. But but it all just it overwhelms you like the effect is cumulative and unique and wonderful, even if you're not quite sure how she did it. At least I'm not sure how she did it. Maybe, maybe no. you can figure it out, but I can't. No, it's magic. It's sure it magic. Um, I, I was going to ask you, too. Um. Will you just be on our show every week now? <laughs> standing dates, standing dates. Yeah, I, I would, I would love to be. Now, the only thing, the only thing I gotta say, man, is that you're gonna have to duke it out with Peach, with my youngest daughter, because I told her we we had to wait till tomorrow night to watch How to Train Your Dragon TV series, because we're we're getting toward the finale here, and uh, and she was pretty peeved at me. So uh, so that's the only impediment I see to a week date. Um, but, but she, she can be pretty ferocious sometimes. You think about the little girl, Laura from Logan, and then mm-hmm. there you got peach right there. God. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just, I'll just, you know, let her make all the decisions. And, you know. <laughs> when, when she, when she decides that you can come back on the show, come back on the show. Dude, I love it. I love it. this. Is yeah. You tell you know you used the word earlier, rich, comfortable, and that's, that's what this has felt like in the best possible way. It's like I I know all three of you online and stuff, and I don't know. I don't know. You guys are just uh, I don't know. It's 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 not like I worry about somebody like misportraying me or being mean to me. But you know, if you don't know somebody, you just never know how it's going to go, right? You never know yeah. how you're going to sound. But if you know the people and trust the people i feel like it's just much much more enjoyable so this has been very enjoyable to me i mean i just haven't felt i don't know i haven't worried about a gotcha moment i haven't worried about you guys editing things to make me sound even worse than i sound so this is awesome so i I definitely want to do it again i appreciate that that's what we aim for is is for it to be a comfortable experience actually and actually a fun experience for all all involved you know just as if we were sitting around a table in a cocktail lounge somewhere you know with my first stop yeah yes exactly (laughs) and you and your second and your fifth (laughs) (laughs) i I gotta tell you this is a confession this is gonna make me sound like an idiot and my wife is gonna be annoyed because she says i tell people this too often but i i never have more than one Never have more than one. And the reason why, here's why, is because, like, on the rare occasions I've had more than one drink, I have, it feels like somebody is is taking an axe to my head the next day. Uh-huh. And so it's like, I, because I'm so, like, consumed with being productive that I just cannot sacrifice a day. I can't sacrifice a day because of the headache. So I, I don't think, I don't think for the last 17 years, I think it's been 17 years since I've had more than one drink. 
um, in any 24 hour period. Um, but it's, it's not because of like being prude, uh, prudish. It's because I just have to be productive or else I feel like I'm a loser. Well, plus that's I, not a fun way to spend your day. Like if you, you know, if you know that you're, that it's going to be an instant hangover, then you know, why? Allergy. Seriously. It's not like, yeah, I, I just feel like I almost have an allergy to it or something. It's bizarre. Well, it's, I have a, it's almost like an, an inner ear thing where like, I, I know exactly where I have to stop. Not that I get like, you know, totally plastered and out of it. But if I reach past a certain point of having them, then I will be get like vertigo and be sick for like three days straight, which is never worth it. Never. It's not worth it. No matter how much fun it is, that would be awful. Wow. Wow. Everybody just shut up. Gosh, that's more frightening than anything we've talked about. <laughs> Right. Uh, yeah. I'm more terrified of nausea, honestly. Than most oh, me too. Else. Worst thing in the world. Okay. Can I, can I say something? Okay. I tell you something about my wife. I'm going to say one thing. This is every, she's amazing. The most amazing woman in the world. Here's something she wouldn't want me to tell you, but I'm going to just because she made fun of the peeing on the seat or whatever. Or whatever. <laughs> 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 okay. I've never said this thing, but she hates not vomiting so much. And she can't be around it. She hates it so much that, like, when I, occasionally, like, when I'm sick, she 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 did this once. When we were first married, I was, like, horribly sick, like, almost going to the hospital sick. I did go to the hospital eventually. But what she did was she was so afraid to hear me vomit or see me vomit that she opened up the door and threw a box of shredded wheat <laughs> on the bed. <laughs> I hadn't eaten for, like, 12 hours. I was so sick. And I, and I like moaned in the hallway. I like, honey, I need something to eat. And she opened the door and threw shredded weed at me and ran. (laughs) 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 And and now, and now my my middle daughter, Jewel is my nurse on the rare occasions when I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do when she grows up and goes away. I'm going to get shredded wheat lobbed at me. School <laughs> <laughs> takes care of me. She sits beside me and, like, you know, will talk to me and, like, put, a, like, a, a washcloth on my forehead. She's the perfect nurse. But, you know, she's 13 now, so she's only going to be in the house for, you know, five more years. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm screwed later on. I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> I don't, I don't, you know, I understand that though. With me though, it's it's a nausea thing myself. If somebody oh. is if somebody is getting ill, I will get ill. <laughs> and it's like you know, so like I love you, babe. I'll be here for you for anything. You start puking, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm gonna give all the props to my husband then, because I f- I feel like I've spent like. A good 33% of my life nauseous for one reason or another. <laughs> and he has just, I mean, even in the times when I totally did it to myself, like he will just like, he used to work third shift for so long. And I remember coming home from a bachelorette party and I had not had that much to drink, but it was just like, it had been such a, and I, I would only have like one beer every few hours. I think it just went on so long that it like dehydrated me. It's like drove home from Louisville the next day, sick as a dog, wake him up early, you know, and I've done it to myself. And he just like gets up and gets me what I need and goes and gets me. I mean, it's just like he's 
I'm sorry, I launched onto this, but I'm, um, you know, appreciating my husband at the moment. <laughs> that's great. No, yeah, that's awesome. I, we need to hope he listens. Yeah, we all do that. We all do that for our spouses, I think. I've been the hair holder more than one time for my spouse. Yeah, yeah. Me too. Is me you? too, man. That's an <laughs> art, hair holder. Yep, it is. We, we all appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, with, with all our spouses put up with, I think that's the least we can do. Well, and being a dude who also needs a hair holder, I really appreciate the fact that that needs to be done by somebody. (laughs) Does your hair get held for you? Is that like it has to, dude? It's so long. If I'm if I'm so invested in puking, I can't do it myself. Somebody's got to. How long is it? I've seen you online, but I've not like we've not been in the same room. So how far does it go? It's down just below my shoulders now. it's not normally long, but I haven't cut it in a long time. Okay. It's kind of like I'm measuring. I'm measuring the pandemic by the length. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same thing happening here because, as I've mentioned, Tiny Buddy looks like uh, one of the Brady Bunch kids by now. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing nearly as scary. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jonathan, do you have uh, any other news you want to share with us before we have to bail? Because I'm going to have to go cook for my wife soon. Well, that is a that's a worthy pursuit. No, I I don't. I'm just very thankful uh, of of for all three of you, um, not only for this conversation, but you all three have been very good to me, and uh, I just really appreciate that. I just appreciate the 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 friendship. I appreciate the kindness. I appreciate the support. Um, that's, you guys all do that without, you know, I mean, it's not like you, it's not like it's transactional. Um, you guys have just been very genuinely kind to me and I don't think that we can ever appreciate that enough. So thank you. We really appreciate you coming yeah. on. I mean, it's, this, yeah. this has been just a lot of fun. It's, it's really been good to, to actually just get and sit to talk to you. Um, we absolutely love your work. So Thanks. yeah, excellent. I've had a gr- I've had a great time talking to you, um, and that you know that nice thing that's a that's a two way street, man. You've been very good to all of us too. Yes, definitely. Absolutely. Thank you. So anyway, I'm gonna bail. I love you, Jonathan. Rich, you have anything else to say? Love you too. No, just um, just to echo what you guys said. It was great talking to you, Jonathan, and we really appreciate you coming on and. Uh, I think I speak for everyone when I say we uh, look forward to reading Halloween Gods and all of your other books that you've got coming out. That's awesome. Thank you, Rich. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. All right, brother. Uh, thanks for being here. We'll have you back again really soon. Next next book, we'll have you on. And the next book after that. And the next book after that. So, <laughs> so you might as well just be here every fucking week. Cause you're <laughs> I'm in. I, I tell you what, I figured it out. We'll have How to Train Your Dragon playing in the background. I'll have Peach beside me down here. Boom. We're set. Oh, there yeah. We want to talk to Peach, too. That yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all right, man. Thanks a lot. Thank you, guys. Love you all. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great night. Bye-bye. Bye. Is somebody going to hang the fucking thing? (laughs) 